Hello there, everybody, and welcome to the Dharma Toolkit Daily. My name is Chandra Dasa. I've been with you a week with my colleague and friend, Sadaisihi Amdasani, just having conversations with people around the world in the Trent Buddhist community as we all adjust to the great strangeness of being essentially indoors most of the time and probably quite a lot online. We've been endeavouring to give you a bit of a flavour, a bit of a sense of ongoing community, the kind of thing that you might get if you went to one of our Buddhist centres in the tea break, chatting with your friends, seeing how it's going. It's been very good to have people bearing each other in mind all week through the podcast. It's been great to hear your responses online. And we thought we'd do something a little bit different on Fridays. You know, it's the weekend, so Fridays are going to be a little bit different. And we thought what we'd do is give you some more in-depth interview-style podcasts with some fantastic people from around the world. Sometimes they're going to be unpublished pieces from our archive, things we've recorded and not quite found the right place for yet. And then this will be the right place. Sometimes there'll be brand new interviews that do touch on the corona crisis as we live through it. And maybe as we go, since nobody knows how long this will last, we'll find some other creative uses for these fabulous Fridays. But for now, we're going to start you off with an interview from just towards the end of last year, recorded in an absolutely beautiful, idyllic landscape in Mexico. And the interview is with a member of the Tratna Buddhist Order called Manjupriya. He's Irish, but what we're talking about is his life in Brazil, where he is teaching the Dharma, living his best life down there. And it was just lovely to connect with him again in Mexico, to hear how things are going and to chew over some history, some experience, uh, some good stories about what's involved when you swap one culture for another culture and you have the Dharma as your protection and as your basis for relationship. So yes, if like me, you're indoors, then please settle back, maybe close your eyes. You can listen to the bird song in the background of this outdoor recording, hear the voices floating through time, through the air, and hear Manjupriya. And yeah, some of the quite profound things he has to say his reflections about what he's learned from long years of being out of his culture and having to relate just at the level of the human and of what matters most. So please enjoy 30 minutes with my old good friend, Manjupriya. Welcome everybody to Chintamani Retreat Centre in Mexico. And I'm here in the lovely grounds, as ever, it's very nice recording your podcast outdoors next to the beautiful stupa, which you can see a picture of on Instagram, if you go and check us out, at Buddhist Centre on Instagram. And I'm here with my lovely guest, old friend, Manjupriya. Manjupriya and I, we've known each other for how long? Uh, it's probably about 25 years. About 25 years, yep. Um, we used to meet on ordination training retreats. Yeah. You were coming from Dublin. Yep. I was coming from Scotland and then England. But here we are, all these years later, and Neither of us live in Kansas anymore, as they say. <laughs> no. <laughs> you live in? I live in Sao Paulo, Brazil. In Brazil? And you've been there for yonks? Well, 17 years and three months. 
Do you feel Brazilian? I don't feel Irish as much as I did. So I'd be curious to know about your experience as well in, in the States. At the same time, I can't say that I feel Brazilian. This sort of identity starts to become a bit of, not confusion, but I think it becomes a bit of a mix after a while. Are you accepted as quasi-Brazilian by yeah. your friends? And yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I think um, the Brazilians have accepted me. I think once you learn the sense of humour of a culture, hmm. uh, that's, especially with the Brazilians, that's a key in. And certain words that, they're kind of code words, in a way, that they would take as somebody understands us from the inside. <laughs> and I think probably every culture has that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One of the things I was thinking was good to have an opportunity to talk to somebody who lives somewhere like Brazil, because if you're outside of Brazil, let's say, so all the stories you hear these days are mm. the Amazon's burning, yeah. there's terrible violence, bloody, yeah. bloody, blah, which is what you also hear about Mexico, probably what you hear about the United States, actually, if you're yeah. outside of the States. Yes. Of course, it's not like that at all, is it? <laughs> well, like... I mean, I suppose it depends where you live. And of course, as Dharma practitioners, we know that in the end of the day, the only protection you have is how you deal with it. However, I think everywhere is relative. And, you know, we heard today from Venezuela, and that's our neighbour, and certainly that's a more unstable situation. However, you know, there were reports, I've been offline for about five days, but there were reports, obviously, of trouble in Chile before I came here, which was civil unrest Mm. due to economic changes there that have taken place. And that was a surprise to everybody. However, Brazil has just passed the same economic changes. And we'll just have to see how it goes. Tom Jobim, who's the famous Brazilian musician composer, said that Brazil is not for beginners. And I think that's true. And it's not just the violence. I think it's a place where there's sort of new codes of relating that you have to learn quite quickly. What would an example of that be? I think one of them is kind of like time. Time is poetry in Brazil, <laughs> which I've, I've gotten used to. But I think that that's a symptom of a culture that has a different idea about limits, for example. Do you mean, when you say time is poetry in Brazil, which sounds lovely. Yeah. Like, I'm going to put does, that in a song or something. Yeah, time is yeah. poetry What in does that mean? Well, I'll give you a concrete example. <laughs> Do you mean people uh, don't show up on time? Is that, well, is like... yeah, it's kind of like that. Or, or when they say, oh, they call and say, I, I'm leaving. That means I haven't even thought about leaving yet. <laughs> that thought hasn't even That's come into my mind like yet. Yeah, the train is coming at nine yeah. o'clock tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's that sort of thing, which, yeah, you just have to get used to. If Brazil's not for beginners, how did you survive being a beginner? Was the Dharma part of what protected you, as it were, from... Well, look, I'm Irish, right? And probably the worst case scenario would have been that after getting ordained, which I did in 99... The worst case scenario would have been me deciding to move to Brazil to take the Dharma there. That did not happen. And I frequently reflect on how much a disaster that would have been if that was my conscious plan. You'll know this, and all my friends know it, but it's always worth remembering that I didn't go to Brazil to set up the Dharma. I fell in love with a Brazilian and I married her. A lovely woman, Maya, who I was married to for about six or seven years. And I think that that was a very, very important part in me growing up Hmm. and probably finding a style of being in the world that I never would have found. Certainly if I had followed a vision of something. And anybody who knows me knows that I certainly was somebody who had 
visions of what the future were going to be like. I still do, to some extent. But going to Brazil isn't for beginners. However, I didn't go with the plan to set up the order in Brazil or teach the Dharma. I lived in a farm, kind of like this place here, which was about 12 kilometres from a big enough city, Suricaba. And I lived there with Maya and her son, Francisco, for seven years, six years, was it? Or maybe a little less, maybe a little less, five years. Completely naive, very little money. And Brazil had just handed over its presidency to Lula, who's now in prison. So it was a curious time. And I think, really, I was given a chance to test out everything that I had received in the 10 years beforehand. You know, I mean, you were the same. We exposed ourselves to Buddhism, to the principles of, like, living and decision-making. In terms of the principles of the Dharma, I think I was equipped, but what I lacked was worldly experience and needed. Well, that's how you get it. <laughs> I think there's a, a fascinating alternative history of Chiratna. You could probably write it from several angles, but one would be the number of Chiratna situations around the world that have sprung up because someone fell in love with somebody else and went there, yeah. and then it did or didn't work out. Yeah. And in the course of that, they had recourse to their training, and while the world seasoned them, yeah. <laughs> they set up classes and yeah. before you know it. Yeah, well, well, in my case, there was Mokshinanda had already sown seeds out there in terms of the Sangha. And there was a Mitra, well, actually a few Mitras out there already. And in the six months up to leaving, I was living in Pamaloka at the time, which is a semi-monastic retreat centre in Norwich in England. Marcia Ficker, who is a Mitra, still is a Mitra, she got in touch and she said she had a retreat centre, which again is very much like this place actually. And my first weekend was meant to be a dirty weekend, but actually I ended up on retreat. That's truth. <laughs> She might as well get I, used to it. I believe you. Yeah, and I, I you know, I, I think... That's all gone now, hasn't it, though, from you? <laughs> uh, I'm a different man now. So anyway, I gave a retreat, and learning Portuguese, actually, it was difficult looking back. And I think it was helped along by the fact that I had something that I loved that I wanted to communicate to people. And also, I had my ex-wife, who I loved, and her mm. son. So to communicate with Francisco... English wasn't going to be on the cards. Yeah. So all of that. And um, there was a structure there already in terms of groups that Marcia was already leading. And in Suricaba, which is an hour and a half from Sao Paulo, I just started giving classes. People got very interested very, very quickly. And some of those people are still around. Fabio, who was on our course, he's still on our course in Suricaba this semester. He was the first guy that came around. Fantastic. Absolutely amazing guy. Do you teach the Dharma full-time and that's how you earn your livelihood or do you do you do something else? Yeah. My aspiration is to teach full-time the Dharma and I started out by teaching English for about nine years and anything that would come along just to pay the bills. You know, I drove my ex-wife round the bend with all of that because, I mean, basically it was a move where I had to reinvent myself. So I ended up actually once teaching Irish classes. That's absolutely true. Don't ask me how kid I managed. Kid me la Yeah, kid me la <laughs> uh, So yeah, and what was wonderful was on the first convention after I went out there, I managed to keep some money together. I went on the convention. I had lunch with Vidya Mala. And we were sitting there. I can remember, it's lucid. She said to me, listen, I can train you up in Breathworks. 
And she said, I know you well enough, Manjapriya, to know you're going to love this. And I went straight from there on my own into the shrine room at Wyndham and I sat in front of the huge image of Avalokiteshvara and I just looked at that for about a half an hour. And she trained me up and off I went. Mm. That was crucial in terms of aligning myself with the Dharma teaching. It also has given me a wonderful chance to get to know people I never would have gotten to know. I, I teach mindfulness voluntarily now in the largest infectology hospital in South America, which is Emilio Hebus, to AIDS patients. Mm. And there are projects that are coming up which are coming out of that because we've done a research project which we're going to publish. You know, they're just fantastic people. I would have never have met them if I had set up a Buddhist centre in the same way. And I'm learning then how to communicate with different people mm. from different walks of life. Now, is there a prospect of any native born Brazilians joining the order anytime yeah, soon? absolutely. The thing is, obviously I have to connect people up with an ordination process. And the ordination process here is emerging. And that's one of the reasons why I'm here at Chintamani, is to connect with people who are looking after that and just seeing where we're at with it. Because really, that's all part of me trusting, mm. you know. And I think that's the way things go. It's like, well, what is actually happening? I must admit, just for anybody who isn't here, I was here four years ago. I think you may have felt it. I was talking to Tira Dama, who's another order member who was at lunch, and he confirmed, I felt it the first day I arrived. The change in this community here in Triratna, Mexico, I've never seen anything like this before. I think in time it's going to be one of the biggest communities, isn't it, in Triratna? You can tell the explosive growth yeah. from the depth of the facilities, etc. already. It's yeah. amazing. I mean, that impressed me the last time, but what's impressed me this time isn't the number of people. It's that definitely something has happened here in the last four years on a spiritual level. Some sort of deep process of forgiveness and faith and friendship has gone on. I mean, the Dublin Centre went through something similar. So I was thinking about that the other day. Yeah, possibly. But actually, this is just clearer. And the other thing that's wonderful about the order, which I feel I'm going back to Brazil with, to share this with people there, is that quite a lot of the same people are here that were on that convention four years ago. And there's something about practitioners that gets under my skin in a good way. And it's not like falling in love with somebody. It's like kind of, I can't really quite describe it. But meeting all of you guys, again, four years on, is like, I'm not just meeting a, a person. I suppose I'm meeting, I can't explain it. Well, you're sitting in front of that big picture of Avalokiteshvara deciding to come out. And, yeah. You know, it's in the shrine room here. And yeah. Sometimes people talk about it more than other times. Parmi is here. She's a very senior order member in our community. And she loves that image of the order as Avalokiteshvara. Yeah. In a way, taking that literally. Yeah. I could see how in that sense, you know, you come and we tap into these big gatherings and it can feel a bit like that. Like, yeah, it's beyond just goodwill, isn't it? There's something about the fact that um, we're not necessarily following what everybody else is following and there's some sort of sense of progression, but it's mysterious. Hmm. I don't know how to talk about that really, but it's very tangible. Somebody might look at you superficially and think you might feel isolated in the order down <laughs> in Brazil. Yeah. Now I know you're in an online chapter yeah. of order members, presumably that helps, be interested yes. to hear about that. But is there an element which you can feel alone in Brazil as an order member in the sense that well, you don't get to walk around the corner and meet whoever yeah. it is? I'm going to answer it this way. I think more order members feel alone than they admit. And I think it'd be good if we started to talk about that. 
because I think a lot of our behaviours actually come from feeling incompetent and alone and impotent in the face of mega changes and difficulties that come up. And I think we're pretty good at talking about that. But I think loneliness is something that's very curious. I do go through it, yeah, absolutely. And the Sangha down there is physically, geographically the most isolated on the planet. However, well, there's my online chapter, which started, I think it was about seven years ago, and grown, and that's once a week, and I very rarely missed that chapter. It's an absolute lifeline. So it's a lot of people listening yeah. may not know what a chapter is, well, how it functions. Tell yeah. us a bit about what it is to have an online chapter and a chapter at all. Yeah, our particular tradition well, has the order as a living spiritual community, and after ordination, the invite is, and it's a strong invite, is to take part of a regular gathering with other members of the order. And it's not to talk about business. <laughs> and there's loads of business to talk about because lots of us are involved with like, you know, running centres or projects or whatever. It's actually to sit down and especially, I think, my sense over the years, especially is to talk about our ethical practice, really. Mm. And, and also about what inspires us as well. And primarily to have a sense of continuity of friendship. So it's a spiritual meeting, whatever that means. Yeah, Lukeshra, who's another of our international order conveners, he was talking the other day about going into chapters. He travels around the world. Yeah. And he's into, you know, lots of chapters all over the place. And he says to people now, how's the project of awakening going? Yeah, that's exactly, you know, yeah. There's ethics, friendship, all that stuff. And then there's you're meeting up with people who, in a way, take your aspiration seriously. Yeah. And again, it comes back to that image of Avalokiteshvara, the figure that represents compassion for the whole world. Are you taking that seriously? Like, yeah. And it's great to get together with a bunch of people every week who sort of ask that question of each other. Like, That's right. That's right. Well, I, I play the drums and I play with musicians. I've been taking lessons out there. And the thing about playing music together, you're a musician as well, is that people can see quite clearly where you're at with the instrument. But the thing is, when you close your eyes and you meditate, you don't ask questions. You can see something. You can see something in people's behaviour and things. But to know what somebody's doing in their practice, you have to kind of start asking questions. So, so yeah. And it's uh, online. It's, on, it's online. It's on Skype or Zoom or something. Zoom, like yeah, Zoom, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's been that way since the beginning. And I'm not a Luddite. I was a bit sceptical. But I must admit, I'll tell you a little wee story. My first experience with Skype, it was in the blistering heat in a small, sweaty room in Suricaba. And... Vadika, who's a friend of ours who was living in Tallinn in Estonia, sent me an email saying, listen, there's this thing I've found and it's free. Oh, got some little parakeets. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, you won't get parakeets in Estonia, that's for sure. So anyway, so he sends me an email and says, look, get in touch. This thing is free. So he told me how to get on. I remember this. And we eventually connected and it was free. And he had just come in and his moustache was frozen. Like there were icicles on his moustache and I was in the blistering heat and we just fell around the place laughing for about <laughs> two or three minutes. We just, it was just such fun that we had yeah. communication. It's the future, isn't it? You're living in yeah. the future. Yeah. Video TVs. Yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow's was, world. Today. Yeah. That was it. That was 2004, 2005. So, so that's a lifeline of connection and, yeah. and yeah. being taken seriously. Chittavan is the longest standing avatar in my life and I've just met him for the first time. So it was great giving him a hug. And we, we started looking at each other kind of funny. There's a strange, a wonderful communication between us. That's right, yeah. Because we've just actually physically met, you know? Yeah. But it's amazing, it is amazing how much you can get across 
with this stuff. It's just amazing. It is, yeah. Um, I had a really good conversation on a podcast once with Kamala Sheila. We'd done quite a lot of meditation teaching online. We'd both had this experience of actually something can happen, something can arise in a normal way in a meditation class online that's just the same as what happens yeah. in real life. That's not to say we should aim, in case anybody's worrying, not to say we should aim to replace real life with online, but it's that there's often an assumption, I think, for people that online is a sort of second-class citizen of yeah. contact. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I really don't think it is, and it's fantastic when you get to meet Chattavan. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the other thing is, is how you use it. I mean, like anything, you can just get into autopilot. But the thing is, I think we really appreciate it because we're all pretty much distant. You know, Fajr Natha is another member of the order. He lives in Merida in Venezuela. It really is a lifeline. So I don't feel isolated. I go through moments of loneliness. Well, people go through moments of loneliness in Mexico City. Well, yeah, there, you know. yeah, that's the thing amongst how many million people. The thing is, is I don't really know how to explain it. However, I feel really connected to the order and to my friends and to my family as well. We use Skype all the time. And I also go on retreat, a two-week retreat, usually at Pamaloka in the winter, their winter. Yeah, that's in silence. So I usually go on that. And I've been doing that for about 10 years. This year, I'm going to go on a month solitary. I've just found a little cabin, which looks good in the middle of the forest, about an hour and a half from Sao Paulo. So that's the idea. Mm-hmm. I haven't done a solitary retreat in a long time. And I really like solitary retreats. They do me a lot of good. That's fantastic. Now, do you think you're in Brazil for good? Well, I don't All have... Things considered. It never say never. How many people have you heard saying, never again. I will never leave this no. place five years later? Yeah. So I don't have a plan, although my, my dear parents, I love my parents. I'm just so grateful to them. They're getting older. They're getting funnier as well. Mm. They're looking after themselves now. And I just wonder how it would be if things start getting difficult. You right. know? Yeah. And you were saying earlier you do still, to some extent, dream about the future in Brazil and the bringing oh, yeah. the Dharma Center. What's the, what's the dream? What's Manjapriya's 2019 version of the dream that's been seasoned by a real place with yeah. real people? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's about the people who are out there. I mean, I've got a list of 22 people who I can now say these people are, are engaged in their practice. I remember, I think it was 2010, I had about three hours of thinking I may go home, go back to Europe. And I wavered. It was for about three hours. Oh, the reason why I wavered is because I couldn't even count on one hand the amount of people in 2010 who I could say were actually meditating, you know, with regularity. So at the end of that mini crisis, I thought, well, look, hold on a second. I actually can't go back to Europe without finishing at least the experiment I came here to try out. So give it one year. That's what my mind came up with at the end of the three hours. And um, let's revisit this this time next year. And it literally was, I know this isn't something that I think happens to all loads of people, but actually when I did actually decide to commit myself again, the thing started to move. I can now safely say there's about 22 to 24 people who, between the two cities that we have activities, they're wonderful people and they're my life in a way. They're the people that I'm serving. And at the same time, what I've learned from actually mistakes, I think, in Europe, is not to leave my own practice to one side. That's retreats and meditation. And I've seen that quite a lot, actually. And I think that's not sustainable. So my vision for the future is keep up my own practice, 
the Dhammapada has become a, an incredible source recently, just tuning into the Dhammapada. And meditation, Sangha, staying in touch with the order. I'm a person who gets a lot of inspiration from Sangha Rakshita's teachings, a lot of inspiration. I haven't really even tapped into one-tenth of what he's brought to offer me. So I have a sense of like, yeah, adventure in that. And then what I'd like to say is, there's a few names, people, that I'm just thinking about now. They'd love to come up here. They'd love to come up here. I can see it now. Is uh, that the path for them if they want to pursue training and ordination? They would oh, come yeah. to Mexico? Or... Yeah, yeah, because like everything we're talking about here, you and I know about, but until they actually have the experience, Vajragupta can come down and they can see he's our president. They can see Vajragupta and I in action, but it's not enough. They've got to come up and see like this, like all these Mexicans who are just so inspiring. Yeah, their peers and that's right. Yeah. People the same generation, all that stuff. Yeah. You know, possibility, I think that that's somebody saying, oh, it's possible, instead of just having this one guy who's slightly bonkers, who gives these classes. Oh, yeah. slightly bonkers. Yeah, well, you know, I like to. <laughs> kind of playing things down a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah. What I've realised in the last few years is that practice, my practice, and I think the practice of a lot of people, comes down to a lot dealing with disappointments and trusting in people. And then at some point being let down or something has changed. And I, I know it's not really a Buddhist term, forgiveness. Yeah. However, I can do something before I receive an apology. And, and actually, I can do a lot. It's not just a little. And I'm not talking about a technique or some kind of reprogramming. I'm talking about something that might take a long, long time and mm. could be quite painful. Yeah. And in my case, what I found is the cauldron, the kind of alchemy that can happen in the fourth stage of the practice that we do, which is the metabhavna. Loving kindness. Yeah, loving kindness. I have no other reference to date that does what that does. Where you call to mind somebody who you are in conflict with yeah. in some way and you, you wish them well, yes. unreservedly. Yeah, without negating the That's force right. of the reaction. I mean, it's not a Disney practice. It's a dojo in the sense that it's a martial art of the heart. And the fourth stage, I just think, is the best thing that I've ever been taught. And I am not somebody who's known for forgiving, and I'm sure friends of mine will sign under that. However, the thing is, even just having a sense of progress is enough to continue with the mystery of the fact that we're actually not separated as mm. beings. Although when, when the chips are down, it does seem that way. Which is why it's handy to have a kind of regular ethical practice with your chapter, right, where yeah. you, you yeah. can check in on these things, like check in on your hatreds, check yeah. in on your reactions. Yeah, and be questioned. That's well. right. Yeah. yeah. One thing I've noticed about it is I've been thinking quite a lot recently about my own ethical life in terms of just identifying where the breaches are. Yeah. Not getting into whose fault it is. Yeah. And then, as you say, it's like however they behaved. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Or what am I doing to sustain the breach yeah. or the sense of breach? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, particularly for me, what I've realised is we talk a lot about mindfulness. One of the things that I've noticed is if you give somebody, and I'm, this body is me, too much attention, you create a monster. If you don't give a person enough attention, you create a monster. 
And attention is probably, for me in my practice, something that I have to really work with. If, for example, I'm invited to give a presentation or something like that, and for some reason it doesn't happen, and I don't get a chance, my chance, to be able to give my presentation, because of all of that, I can really suffer. I just not get the attention I want. So I think there are ways in to find out where the breach is. For me personally, there's a, a theme for me about attention, looking for attention, wanting attention, trying to find attention. And uh, part of my vision is if I could turn that around, I'll be... Um... Well, listen, I was just going to say as, as a way to kind of tie up the conversation, it sounds to me when I listen to you as if you're doing a training and turning, you're purifying by turning your attention to other beings. Yeah in the light of the Dharma, that's yeah. what you're for, yeah. is to be there and serve yeah. people in two cities. And there is something self-purifying about yeah. that, because it's yeah. like, you just set yourself aside somewhere and do it. Yeah, may they connect. Yeah, well, that's right. May they connect. Because uh, I suppose I just have to get out of their way and just make it happen or, or help them to... What is that? it in Shantideva? May I be a, a road, a bridge, a causeway, something like that? Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, well done for being a road a bridge and a causeway in Brazil. <laughs> You've got this lovely image of it, this bridge that's thrown over to the rest of the Toronto world. And, it happens. Uh, yeah. Thanks for sharing your experience with us on our podcast. Total pleasure. From here in beautiful sunny Mexico with the birds singing as into the evening. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. So our thanks to Manjapriya. It was great to meet him again. Great to have his voice. Anyway, out of time and meeting all of us in our community. On the team here, we just want to send your best wishes for this weekend. And we hope that you find some way to contact nature, to stay in touch with your bodies, to be well. We hope you get some rest over the weekend. We'll be back next week, all week long. And as ever next week, you'll be able not just to meet us here, but join us for meditation each weekday, twice a day, you can find the times for meditation at thebuddhistcenter.com slash toolkits. There you can also find a great page just listing all the other things that we've heard of so far going on around our community online to support you in your practice. And you can also find the community toolkit space where you can join, share your own inspiration and resources. Please make the most of what we're offering what else you find on the internet to help you through it all. And we really look forward to seeing you again next week. Bye for now.